Madam Clerk. Oral questions by members? Opposition House Leader. Now, well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, I think it's a well-established fact that British Columbia has the highest gas taxes and the highest gas prices in all of North America. And as gas prices continue to skyrocket, the NDP government is raking in record uh, fuel and carbon taxes without providing any relief for BC's families. Now, despite years of empty promises, the Premier continues to shrug his shoulders and do nothing. But Mr. Speaker, there is one uh, thing that the Premier could do. Uh, one step that uh, he could take would be to return uh, some of the millions of dollars in gas taxes that his government uh, is receiving. He could return that, some of that to British Columbians through a one-time carbon tax rebate uh, to help lower and middle-income British Columbians. So the question to the Premier is this. Uh, will the Premier take this action to help families who are struggling with these skyrocketing gas prices. Minister of Energy and Mines. British Columbia is not alone in facing uh, higher gas prices right across the country from St. John's to Winnipeg to Toronto and here in British Columbia and indeed around the world. The, the war has uh, had a huge impact on world prices, and uh, just yesterday, President uh, Biden in the United States has decided to end imports of Russian oil and gas, which will have further upward pressure on prices around the world. The federal minister uh, here in Canada, the Minister of Industry, has called upon the Competition Bureau to protect Canadians against possible gouging. And unlike the opposition, uh, we, we believe gas companies should be accountable should be accountable for markups and price hikes. We brought in the Fuel Price Transparency Act to force the companies to come clean. And, and the, members, the members chuckle. Uh, they, that's something that they certainly never did in their 16 years. Let's just get to it. Their, their, their newly elected leader said in 2008, I don't want to pretend there's any magic solution to the fact fuel prices have doubled in the past 12 months. And Member he was asked order. about this question just yesterday, 14 years later, some time to reflect on what he might do, I suppose. And, <laughs> and his answer was, yes, this is what I said, and it's true. So you guys got nothing. You got nothing. <laughs> Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Wow. Members. British Columbians aren't laughing. Look at the shiny object. Uh, I, I mean, get serious, Mr. Speaker. Get, get serious. You know who's not going to have much of anything left if this government doesn't take action is British Columbians who are dealing with these soaring gas prices and the government's sitting around shrugging. And, and uh, you know, uh, every time this government mentions Kevin Falcon, you know what, you know what goes through our minds? Call the by-election. Call the by-election so he can sit right here and you can, you can have the exchange with him in person. When Kevin, Falcon, when Kevin Falcon was in government, 
he, he brought in the, car, the revenue neutral carbon tax, which actually offset carbon tax. A revenue neutral carbon tax. Imagine that. Members. Imagine that. Imagine order. taking carbon tax revenues and offsetting that with personal income tax reductions and small business uh, 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 tax reductions and, and all kinds of, of credits and, and uh, rebates. You know, uh, Members, let's seniors, listen to the, the question, please. The home, uh, home renovation tax credit, things like that. What it was one of the first things this government did? They ended the revenue neutrality of the carbon tax. The NDP are, in fact, with these soaring gas prices, the NDP are actually raking in billions and billions of dollars of extra carbon tax that they're taking right out of the pockets of British Columbians. Families, families, families are being hurt by these high prices, these high gas prices, and they deserve some relief from this, from this government. One tool, one mechanism that's available to this government, which we're suggesting here today, would not uh, serve to put uh, additional profits into the pockets of gas companies. The, this government could use the BC Climate Action Tax Credit, a tool that Kevin Falcon and the BC Liberals created. He could provide, uh, the government could provide a one-time enhanced rebate. Members, a one-time enhanced rebate question. that could be implemented in time for the, for, for the next payment in April. The government could do that, and that would provide relief to British Columbians immediately. So the, the, uh, the question to the Premier is this. Will he implement this, this measure? Will he implement this measure or any other measure that would serve to actually offset these soaring gas prices to help British Columbia struggle families? Minister of Energy and Mines. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the, the member uh, for the opposition misreads the history of the carbon tax. It wasn't revenue neutral for British Columbians. In fact, it gave over $2 billion to some of the largest corporations in the province. And, and the fact is, uh, and I want to quote uh, Members. Uh, and a uh, professor at UBC, Werner Antweiler, the problem is we have a situation in the global market and no amount of changes to taxes will make that go away. Increasing the carbon taxes planned in April by one, one cent a litre pales in comparison to the 20 to 30 cents a litre. That is essentially the Putin tax that's coming from the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And, and uh, the... Members, members come to order. Minister, continue, please. Thank you. Uh, sorry, I'm somewhat distracted by that braying from the other side. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alberta announced a uh, 13 cent uh, measure. Uh, at the same time, the price of gas in Lethbridge after that announcement increased by 14.5 percent, proving the point that I just made. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Perhaps the Energy Minister is unaware, but the Alberta 13-cent rebate does not take effect until April 1st. It hasn't even taken effect yet. 
again, Mr. Speaker, it's revisionist history at its finest with this government because if you look at the budget and fiscal plan 2017-18 to 2019-2020, where there was still clear and concise transparent reporting happening on page 66 on the carbon tax reporting plan, very clearly shows low-income climate action tax credit per adult, reduction of 5% with first two income tax rates, northern and rural home owner benefit for up to $200, and the list goes on and on and on on how the carbon tax is actually refunded back to people in a way that actually help their affordability. And they certainly seem infatuated with Kevin Falcon, and I do hope they actually would call a by-election so they could see him in person in this room. Because in 2008, they like to quote 2008, so let's look at what the Premier had to say in this chamber in 2008 when gas was going up. You know what the Premier was advocating for? A cap of two and a half cents of carbon tax per litre of gas. April 1st, this Premier is going to be charging over 11 cents a litre for carbon tax. He likes to talk about having options as Premier. The Premier likes to talk about having options, yet he doesn't tell us what those options actually are. 207 weeks now he has told this chamber he has a plan to lower gas prices. With a stroke Members. of a pen, the Premier could help families with a one-time enhanced carbon tax rebate. Will this Premier finally act on his words and deliver the relief that people are looking for through an enhanced carbon tax rebate check? Mr. F Mr. Fire Energy and Mines. Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The carbon tax uh, is, a, is a, a tax that's supported by the BC Business Council. Uh, the Clean BC Plan has a program which the uh, industry participates in, and it returns the carbon tax to those companies who achieve global standard of carbon tax or carbon emission reductions. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether what the opposition is saying is that they want to reduce the amount of carbon tax available for reducing emissions here in British Columbia. Is that what they're saying? Is that their policy? Member for Cambridge North Thompson, supplemental. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the minister seems to, and I guess it's not surprising, they've ignored their own advice in their budget book about taxes hurting low and mid-income families in this budget. But the reality is, BC has the highest gas prices and the highest gas taxes in North America. And we're about 50 cents a litre currently more expensive than Alberta, right next door to us. And last I checked, the war in Ukraine is impacting Alberta just like it is BC but it's 50 cents a litre less in Alberta. The Climate Action Tax Credit, which was created by Kevin Falcon and the BC Liberals, it was specifically designed as a tool to refund carbon taxes to families. The NDPs, one of their first acts was to remove the revenue neutrality of carbon taxes, and now they are raking in well over a billion dollars a year in extra carbon taxes. No one knows where it's all going. Again, the Members, Premier has repeatedly promised action on gas prices. Why will the Premier not use a very clear tool to get money back in the pockets of British Columbians to try to help them with their increased fuel costs in their daily lives? Minister of Energy and Mines. Mr. Speaker, it's disappointing to hear the member opposite, perhaps not surprising, to argue against a measure, the carbon tax, that has proven to reduce emissions and funds investment in low-carbon innovation. 
the, 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 the suggestion Members, order. Minister will continue. The suggestion is that it was revenue neutral. They weren't able to explain it back in 2008, and they're not doing a, any better job 15 years later. They gave, they gave over $2 billion to the biggest corporations in the province. That was their version of revenue neutrality. Thank you. Leader of the Third Party. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. My colleague and I have been asking the Minister of Health about the corporate delivery of health care in our province and raised our concerns about fees that are being charged to patients. So far, we haven't gotten clear or direct answers, so I'll try again. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Minister of Health. Does the Minister think that health care delivery by a for-profit telecommunications company that generates dividends to shareholders is aligned with the spirit of universal, equitable public health care. Minister of Health. Uh, thank you. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And for the last uh, several years, we've repeatedly taken action to strengthen our public health care system. Member knows this. That action has affected the delivery of care to seniors, primary care, every aspect of our healthcare system, and it's involved improving services for people in terms of their wait time and their access to services. It's why we purchased and brought back into the public system MRI machines. With respect to uh, the question of the honorable member, uh, what has happened is, and what's happening now, is consistent with the rule of law in BC. The Medical Services Commission is reviewing those questions. They started to do that in February uh, to review and to ensure that everyone in BC is acting in compliance with the Medicare Protection Act. We took measures, as the member knows, in 2018 to bring in regulations that have been passed by the previous government but not brought into force. We brought those regulations into force. We'll always defend public health care, and we're doing it now. Here, here. Leader of the third party supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. We've looked into the health care services that are provided by TELUS, and there are a few different programs available. Virtual care is covered by MSP, and patients access a virtual walk-in clinic. Doctors can prescribe medications, write a requisition, give advice, but no longitudinal care. MyCare, also covered by MSP, offers in-person appointments, as needed, determined by a virtual screening process. For a $1,000 fee, patients can access annual screening. And then there's Life Plus. Life Plus offers in-person medical office visits with access to team-based care like we have come to expect from a family clinic. The annual cost of enrollment in Life Plus is $4,000 for the first year and $3,000 for every year after. My question is to the Minister of Health. When a for-profit telecommunications corporation charges patients thousands of dollars for what amounts to access to a family doctor, is this in line with what the minister considers to be universal, public, equitable health care? Minister of Health. Honourable Speaker, the Medicare Protection Act uh, protects our public health care system in BC, just as the Canada Health Act protects it in Canada. 
it's not an issue of amounting to. It's an issue of ensuring that medically necessary care is available to all British Columbians regardless of income. And this is, Honorable Speaker, been the basis of the system. If the members are saying, because this has been the development of public health care in Canada, that it has been defined and provided often by private corporations, including family doctors, effectively that, with public pay. That is our public insurance system in Canada. And it has worked for us well. It requires improvement. It's why we've invested in 56 primary care net networks, 28 urgent and primary care centers, delivered tomb-based care, added community health centers, delivered by nonprofit providers in this province, and will continue to support public health care for everyone in BC. <laughs> Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, yesterday, the Premier, Premier finally agreed to activate the Select Standing Committee on Health to work across party lines on the opioid crisis in our province. This is an opportunity for collaboration between all parties on a crisis that is killing nearly seven British Columbians a day. Critically important will be to build on the work that has been done specifically following the blueprint of the death review panel that was released. This report is the work of 23 public health experts who have provided urgent recommendations with very specific timelines. So today, the Premier has had some time to review the report. Will he now stand and, and accept the recommendations and timelines for immediate action? Minister of Mental Health and Addiction. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Premier announced yesterday that we'll be developing terms of reference for the committee, and I look forward to developing those terms of reference in, in combination with the, in cooperation with the Premier and his office, and I look forward to hearing the opposition members' ideas on how we can work together to uh, fight the overdose crisis and save lives. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thank you, and as I said earlier, we appreciate the fact the Premier finally said that he would activate a committee that could have been activated months ago as continuously we heard story after story of people losing their lives in British Columbia to this crisis. That Minister's answer means nothing when it comes to the recommendations that have been provided. They are specific timelines, specific recommendations. The death panel review provided specific and de deadlines from April 11th through to September. And the report itself said that this government has not acted with the urgency that is required. And in fact, what did this minister do yesterday? Within hours of receiving the report, the minister, despite the fact that a panel of experts brought the recommendations forward, said, and I quote, we already know that the 30, 60, 90 day timeframe just doesn't work, end quote. Within hours of the recommendations brought forward, the minister simply dismissed it. Actually, what we do know, we know, and it was confirmed in the report, that this government's approach is not working. Seven people a day are dying in our province. What could possibly make the Premier hesitate, and today the non-answer by the Minister, 
Why wouldn't she stand today and say, of course we accept the recommendations, we are going to move to meet those timelines, and in fact this review panel will form the basis of the work done by the Standing Committee on Health. Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Our government has been acting urgently since 2017. We have evolved our response to the terrible loss of life and the increasing toxicity of the drug supply uh, every year since 2017, since the beginning of the forming of this ministry. We agree with the policy directions that were identified in yesterday's uh, death panel review report and they align with the work that we've committed to and that we have underway. Expanding prescribed safe supply, expanding the treatment and recovery system, expanding uh, drug testing, and the um, uh, oversight and uh, accountability of the uh, treatment and recovery sector. In addition to the other work that we're doing to decriminalize people who use drugs, to expand supervised consumption sites, adding inhalation sites, as the method of consumption of drugs has changed and the drug profile and the terrible toxicity has expanded. And as I said yesterday, we'll work with our ministry uh, to identify where we can meet the timelines that are recommended by the panel. And at the same time, we'll say we're not going to give people suffering on um, the loss of loved ones any false confidence about work that we've been trying to implement and expanding and amending every week that's been over the last year and a half that a 30-day timeline or a 60-day timeline is realistic. We won't give anybody in the province false hope. We'll work as fast as we can as Thank we have you. from day one. Leader of the official opposition. What families in British Columbia who've lost loved ones need is this minister, instead of dismissing out of hand an expectation around 30, 60, and 90 days created by a panel of experts, instead of dismissing it, she should stand up in this House and tell British Columbians that we are going to do absolutely everything possible to make it work, to meet those deadlines. Because in the meantime, today, tomorrow, and next week, Seven people a day are dying in British Columbia. And for the minister's information, she doesn't need to take a lot of time working on the terms of reference. They're done in this report. There is a clear roadmap about what needs to take place. This is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of urgency. So today, we are asking this minister to say that she will adopt the recommendations, and that by before May the 9th, we'll table in this legislature an action plan that meets the recommendation of 30, 60, 90 days provided by the death review panel. Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate the work of the panel and of the coroner's service to compile the report. It confirms that the work that we have underway is urgent and vital and absolutely necessary to save lives. The panel found that the primary cause of death was the increased toxicity of the drug supply. I'll remind the chamber again, the 2019 year, the number of overdose deaths fell for the first year since the public health was 
emergency was declared the first two months of 2020, deaths continued to fall and spiked terribly from a 4 to 8% uh, toxicity of fentanyl before the pandemic to in the last month of 2021, 24 to 28% toxicity. That has outpaced the ability of us, of our government to add services, which we are doing every week. Uh, prohibition doesn't work, uh, and we're tackling that also. All of the measures identified in the, in the panel report are ones that we are working on urgently, and we look forward to the cooperation of all practitioners and this chamber to carry out that work. Thank you. Member for Caribou-Chill Corton. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. These are certainly uh, sad and uh, frightening times, to be honest. The, um, the people of this province want action on this topic. Since we last discussed this, seven more British Columbians have perished. The latest death review panel shows that people in my community are not immune, Mr. Speaker, from this opioid crisis. The report highlights that rural and remote areas still face systemic barriers accessing key services. The report cites the following challenges, and I quote, vast distances between communities, small service centres, the harsher climate with poorer transportation systems, remoteness and isolation, and potentially limited social, educational and employment opportunities, end quote. Mr. Speaker, will the minister commit to delivering a 30, 60, 90-day action plan by May 9th to actually address the systemic barriers that rural communities are facing right now? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, we share the same urgency that is reflected in the coroner's report, in the death panel review report. Uh, we know there is more to do, and we are adding new services in all regions of the province almost every week. Uh, at the start of the public health emergency, we focused on scaling up expansion of naloxone. We then uh, added in medication-assisted treatment, um, and later, as the emergency response required, we added registered nurses, the only place in Canada where they're allowed to prescribe medication-assisted treatment. That has got particular benefit for rural and remote areas. We're also working with First Nations Health Authority to build um, and rebuild uh, eight different First Nations-led uh, treatment and recovery centres that's got particular benefit for remote and northern regions. The only province in Canada that I'm aware that is funding directly through the First Nations Health Authority uh, to build facilities, um, to also work with uh, Indigenous leaders around land-based solutions. In every way, we have modified and expanded our approach, and it has been outpaced by the increased toxicity of the drug supply. I share the members' concern, particularly about access and service to rural and remote areas. That's a foundation of our plan, Pathway to Hope, and it's something we're working urgently with Northern Health and with Interior Health every day to implement. Thank you. Member for Kairi-Buchil-Kurden, supplemental. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I think um, we've discussed this before. Minister, the current approach is not working, and the results are clear. The North is disproportionately represented in overdose those deaths. The 23 public health experts of the death review panel said very clearly that a 30, 60, 90 day action plan is both realistic and urgently needed. The question is, will the minister act urgently, as urgently as the panel has recommended and meet the May 9th deadline to present an action plan? Minister. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, our government has been acting urgently. We share the urgency that identified in the coroner's reports. Uh, the report also correctly notes that one of the impediments to being able to mount a uh, um, response to this public health emergency has been impeded by the lack of a system of care for mental health and addictions. When we formed government in 2017, it was not in place. We've been acting to fill all of the gaps in the system of care since then. That is not built in a 30, 60, 90 day framework. I wish that it could be. And so we continue to add treatment, overdose prevention, medication assisted treatment, safe supply, anti-stigma campaigns, applying for decriminalization, working with every health authority. And I'll take this opportunity to give thanks again to the health authorities that are fighting two public health emergencies implementing a system of care and rolling out an unprecedented immunization campaign. I think all members in the House would recognize we're asking more of our health authorities than we ever have before. And we wish that they could work faster. We are there with them and working together. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I, I like many in this House, and many of the families, the 6,007 British Columbians lost their families after the report that we saw yesterday would have hoped and would have expected this minister to come into this house today and embrace and support the work that was done by this panel and support the recommendations, the key recommendations that are to save lives. Seven people a day, seven people a day. And one of the key findings from the corner, a lack of urgency, a lack of urgency. And what we've seen from this minister today is a lack of urgency. And I think those families, British Columbians deserve better than what they're getting from this minister today. And I will say this, and I think we can all agree, time is of the essence. Yesterday, the Premier committed to work on the terms of reference for the Health Committee. And as the Premier knows, this report from the corner has specific timelines. Timelines that are put in place to try and... S Please continue. Timelines that are put in place to try and curb the dramatic numbers, the tragic numbers we are seeing every single month. Can the Premier confirm when the committee will be activated and will he use... Will he use the panel's recommendations as terms of reference so we can get to work now, as British Columbians expect, and make sure that we are doing everything we can to support the recommendations that were put out yesterday? 
Government House Leader. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for his question, and I can confirm for the member uh, that the terms of reference are being worked on, and it is our expectation that they will be uh, tabled. Uh, the motion to activate the committee will be tabled on the Monday that we return to this House after the uh, two-week break. The balance of question period.